Section 1 of Red Rubber, the story of the rubber slave trade on the Congo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Red Rubber, the story of the rubber slave trade on the Congo by Edmund Dean Morell. Section number 1, Introduction by Sir Harry H. Johnston. In June 1905, I took the chair very unwillingly at an important meeting held by the Congo Reform Association, which was intended to bring before the British public the need for a drastic reform in the government of the Congo Free State. My unwillingness was due at that time partly to a belief that the King of the Belgians, not having then received the full report of his committee of inquiry, was still loath to believe in the results of his commercial policy, and in the effect produced on the natives of the Congo by the methods which his officials adopted to produce a revenue. Also, I entered the arena of strife with great reluctance, because I realized that our own past colonial history, and that of other European nations in Africa, was very far from being stainless. And on the other hand, I had known Belgians on the Congo, and had seen them at work, whose efforts to introduce stable and civilized government were altogether praiseworthy. I was unwilling to join in any movement which might be directed against Belgium or Belgian enterprise, and only accepted the disagreeable position of chairman at this meeting because I was perhaps the only survivor of the band of Congo explorers who, between 1879 and 1884, had visited the interior Congo regions, and had seen them when they were utterly uninfluenced by the white men, and before and after they had been threatened with Arab domination. My attitude at the meeting in question was that of one desiring to find a way out of a difficult position for a sovereign whose name was still associated in my memory with some of the best intentions ever expressed on paper regarding Africa. Not long afterwards, the report of the King's Sovereign's Commission was issued. Whether the report was published exactly as sent in by the commissioners is open to question, but taking it in the form in which it received the imprimatur of King Leopold himself, it was a sufficient justification of the accusations leveled at the Congo Free State by Mr. Morel, by various British missionaries and travelers, and by Swedes, Frenchmen, and Italians. But in Owen's desire to judge as charitably as possible a man who might have been misled, one saw that a logical corollary to the publication of this report would be an attempt made by King Leopold to sweep away a system which has been one of the most shocking, one of the few shocking results of white intervention in negro africa a year has passed since the publication of this report and creditable testimony tends rather to show that the evils complained of in congo territories have been intensified while the direct utterances of the king of the belgians on the subject of his work on the congo are deplorable in their sardonic indifference to the real condition of the natives of the great african dominion which Europe entrusted to his charge. So far as I am aware, if Mr. Morell had consulted his own interests, he would never have undertaken, and he certainly would not have maintained, his long crusade against the work of the Congo Free State. Neither was it to the interest of the English Baptist missionaries to put before the world the damning evidence they have supplied on the evils of Congo Free State government. In the early stages of their mission, I can speak as an eyewitness, they afforded the infant Congo state the most wholehearted support. When I first visited the western regions of the Congo, it was in the days of dawning imperialism, when most young Britishers abroad could 
conceive of no better fate for an undeveloped country than to come under the british flag the outcome of stanley's work seemed to me clear it should be eventually the britannicizing of much of the congo basin perhaps in friendly agreement and partition of interests with france and portugal but stanley himself was working really toward the creation of a larger liberia and the secretary of his committee the belgian colonel strouch like his compatriot colonel wafermans was eagerly in favor of this international solution of the question with them again sided the baptist missionaries comber grenfell and bentley who anticipated troubles and bloodshed arising from any attempt on the part of great britain to subdue the vast and unknown regions of the congo not even then clearly threatened by arabs they indeed resented the coming of the french or of the portuguese a larger Liberia, devised on more practical lines, was the ideal which they believed the king of the Belgians was pursuing as a pure philanthropist. It was known that the king, by shrewd investments in the Suez Canal shares and in other directions, had made, by most respectable methods, a considerable fortune. He had also spoken publicly of devoting the money that had belonged to his dead son to some noble purpose in the world. He had, in fact, attempted the regeneration of Negro Africa by a kind of international board before stanley's discovery of the congo one of his agents captain storms had reached tanganyika and had effected wonders in arming the natives against the arab slave traders the work of storms had been most generously appreciated by the missionaries of the london missionary society on tanganyika and news of it had just reached their colleagues of different denominations who were at work on the congo in short everyone who was anyone in the missionary world or in that section of london society devoted to philanthropic ideals such as the baroness burdett Coutts, the present earl grey cardinal manning sir harry verney sir william mckinnon decried any attempt on the part of great britain to import base commercial ambitions into the political settlement of equatorial africa and hailed king leopold as the man who would gradually raise the millions of central african negroes to a condition of peaceable self-government free on the one hand from the curse of the arab and on the other from the alcoholizing european these men of the baptist missions of america and great britain so frequently ranged themselves on the side of the congo free state in its early days that it must have cost them much to testify in later times against that form of government i wished on the occasion of the public meeting already referred to and i wish again in these few introductory words to testify to the good work which has been done by belgians in the congo free state and to disassociate the country of belgium from the odium with which her monarch is now regarded by educated people in europe africa and america the names of nihilus von gel urban coquelat hansens mura storms and many others with whom i was not personally acquainted should be recorded as those of men who attempted to do great things for the Congo people, and on whose records there has been no stain. If there have been bad Belgians on the Congo, there have been bad Englishmen, ruthless Frenchmen, pitiless Swedes, cruel Danes, unscrupulous Italians. Belgium has only to bear the brunt of the movement which is now threatening the existence of the Congo Free State in its present form, because the sovereign of that misgoverned state is also king of the Belgians. Many of us have felt, and still feel, that when the king's autocratic rule as sovereign over this American dominion had been proved to be 
such an appalling blot on the history of european intervention in africa as to be no longer tolerated that the individual sacrifices made by belgium and by the belgian people should be recognized by the handing over of the congo free state to belgium as a belgian protectorate a region which belgium might endeavor to administer as england germany and portugal administer eastern africa and france england and portugal deal with western africa the creation of a huge independent african state in the basin of the congo is felt to be an impossibility in the present state of negro development in those regions to divide this vast country between the colonial dominions of the limitrophe powers might be productive of jealousy and other embarrassments belgium we thought fully deserved a share of the undeveloped surface of the earth as an outlet for her energies let her then said many take over the congo and govern it as a constitutional monarchy does govern a foreign dominion but it would seem as though belgium was unable to take up the burden either because her public men and institutions are too much under the control of the present sovereign or because she is not rich enough in men or money to undertake such a mighty task if this is the case then there would seem to be no escape from the present deadlock an international conference should once more be summoned to meet at berlin the hague or paris and the congo state must be remodeled by its original creators whatever its fate may be let us hope that it will not be an international enterprise there is as yet no international conscience though such a thing is beginning to come into existence the state of what is now the anglo-egyptian sudan under the nominal rule of the khedives between eighteen fifty and eighteen eighty two was somewhat analogous to the present condition of the congo free state though the khedive was titular lord the agency employed to conquer and administer the basin of the nile were of many nationalities and their doings did not appeal singly to the conscience of any one state some of gordon's most trusted lieutenants relate in the reports of military action against the arab slave traders and their native following or against the independent native sultans of the bar al ghazal how their cannibal levies from regions which have subsequently furnished troops to the king of the belgians found their commissariat in the bodies of the slain many of the congo horrors were anticipated under the rule of british italian american french german greek and turkish officials in the pay of the egyptian khedive in like manner there has been no national conscience to appeal to other perhaps than that of belgium indirectly concerned in the government of the congo free state crimes and mistakes have been committed by the french in their adjoining territories some episodes in the early history of the uganda protectorate in the creation of rhodesia in sierra leone in ashanti have been written up in the world's ledger against great britain germany has had to reveal face and erase many a scandal in the cameroons in southwest and in east africa portugal is now confronted with serious charges against her administration of inner angola but in all these instances there is the conscience of a nation to appeal to the country at fault is one governed by constitutional methods and the voice of the people when once they are acquainted with the wrongdoing attributable to their fellow countrymen insists on amendment but in the case of the congo free state there is only one conscience to appeal to that of king leopold a conscience which seems indurated against evidence against shame against the terror of an immortality of bad renown i am still anxious that this question should be treated without hysterics 
let me say therefore for the consolation of any who may be wringing their hands over the present condition of the congo free state that the congo basin was not a region of ideal happiness and peace for the negro before the white man or the arab broke in upon the life of the stone age burst upon primitive peoples who had lost all contact with the caucasian for two thousand years before eighteen seventy nine the congo basin west of the longitude of stanley pool was a region fairly well populated by negroes in a very low state of civilization some like the pygmies had not left the hunter stage others were agriculturists and fishermen keeping few domestic animals and cultivating but few plants they were not so much subject as at the present day to the ravages of epidemics like smallpox and sleeping sickness because each cluster of villages each small tribe of a few thousand people was usually at war with the rest of the world and communications between one congeries of settlements and another were uncertain and interrupted it was in fact a region of isolated tribes and communities almost the whole of which except in the south were confirmed cannibals in the northern half of the congo free state incessant wars and slave raids took place not with a view to supplying labor but with the intention of obtaining wives and above all victims for the cannibal feasts in the southern half of the congo basin the slave trade was in full swing had been for one or two centuries prompted chiefly by the british portuguese and americans portuguese half-castes ranged right across the congo basin from angola to tanganyika and to the borders of what is now rhodesia through their supplies of guns and powder one tribe conquered another and empires were built up containing a degree of civilization approaching that of modern uganda cannibalism may have been wiped out by this rise in civilization but a slave trade for the supply of labor in distant countries took its place as an incentive to constant wars in advance in religious ideas accentuated cruelties connected with fetish practices and a belief in sorcery then of course many of the people lost their lives from the attacks of lions leopards elephants hippopotamuses and crocodiles no the condition of man in the congo basin was very far from a state of happiness before the arab penetrated those regions from the east coast and the european from the west the arabs did much to suppress cannibalism and to introduce a far higher standard of comfort and many important articles of food but they carried the ravages of the slave trade further and further depopulating a district before they settled it anew with their domestic slaves the king of the belgians stood forward as the champion of what was best in european civilization and all that was to regenerate this vast region of potential wealth too thickly inhabited by a vigorous race to be regarded as a no-man's land and yet devoid of any indigenous government which could establish law and order it is no excuse for the evil doings of the congo free state that the congo basin was a land of much misery before king leopold took it in hand neither is it any palliative to point to the mistakes which the principal countries of europe have made in their attempt to better the african's condition on his own continent most of the countries of western and central europe embarked on african enterprises with no protestations of high philanthropy they wanted an outlet for their manufactures a colony for their superfluous population or a field for national aggrandizement i do not hesitate to say that the general results of their work even if it was undertaken from no higher motive have on the whole produced regions of greater happiness 
denser population and a higher standard of human life than could be ascribed to those portions of africa prior to european control but the genesis of the congo free state was vastly different from the general standpoint of the european partition of africa to judge of this one has only to read the speeches and letters of the king of the belgians himself between the years eighteen seventy five and eighteen ninety four over and over again he declared that his one object in entering on this african enterprise was disinterested at the outset he only desired to get back his out-of-pocket expenses if ever there was a portion of africa in which a ruler's private profits from state monopolies were precluded by an honorable adhesion to first principles it was the congo free state a few words as to the logic of my position as a critic of king leopold's rule on the congo i have been reminded in some of the publications issued by the congo government that i have instituted a hut tax in regions entrusted to my administration that i have created crown lands which have become the property of the government that as an agent of the government i have sold and leased portions of african soil to european traders that i have favored or at any rate have not condemned the assumption of an african state of control over natural sources of wealth that i have advocated measures which have installed the european as the master for the time being over the uncivilized negro or the semi-civilized somali arab or berber all these charges may be true without the admission constituting any sort of apology for the results of twenty-one years of king leopold's government in the congo free state as regards the negro or any other backward race i am not a sentimentalist i have no pity in retrospect for the sufferings of the celtic and iberian inhabitants of great britain during their conquest by the romans i do not regret the norman remodeling of england these movements have done much to make the united kingdom one of the foremost amongst the civilized free nations the greater part of africa has got to submit to a similar discipline there are many tribes of negroes at the present day who are leading lives not much superior in intellectual advancement to those of brutes but there is not an existing race of men in africa that is not emphatically human and capable of improvement yet i do not think that they are to be improved by european tutors without some effort on their own part they should contribute reasonably and with due regard to the happiness of their own lives to the public resources of their country taxation which is not oppressive must be imposed if the adult native cannot pay his contribution in money he can furnish it in labor but the assessment of his contribution to the income of his own country must be strictly proportionate to his means in other words to that share of happiness and enjoyment in life to which he is entitled like any other human being the crown lands the control of which is assumed by the british government or by the government of any civilized state in africa are or should be administered first and foremost in the interest of the community in which they are situated for example revenue derived from the crown lands in british central africa or in uganda goes to meet the cost of the administration of those countries and the maintenance of law and order therein of the construction of public works the prevention of disease the improvement of communications the advancement of education the utmost gain to us that is derived from this administration of state monopolies is the easing of the pocket of the british taxpayer even if which is not the case the administration of these public lands gradually repaid to the british taxpayer the monies he has invested in founding these new protectorates i should think the principal an unjust one 
since a good deal of the work done by england france italy portugal and germany in africa has been purely philanthropic money and valuable lives have been spent in putting down devastating wars amongst the natives or in repelling cruel invaders like the arabs or the tarawek abyssinians or fulas a fairly safe and happy existence has been guaranteed to the natives of the soil and it is only fair that by degrees the resources of these countries should provide the means for the upkeep of a civilized government which more and more is tending to become the native government of those countries where the land is absolutely waste land without indigenous human inhabitants i have counted it no sin that such a wilderness should be allotted to foreign settlers of our own or of any other race seeking a home beyond the seas but i do count it a sin to oust one race to put another in its place unless and until any such race has shown itself the foe of humanity in general but the crown lands the public forests the natural resources of the congo free state instead of being administered as a national fund for the maintenance and improvement of that state and the promotion of the welfare of its inhabitants are actually diverted to the personal profit of king leopold and some of his associates it is this that is the inherently false principle in the scheme of the congo free state the public revenues collected from these regions are not publicly accounted for the danger in this state of affairs lies in the ferment of hatred which is being created against the white race in general by the agents of the king of the belgians in the mind of the congo negroes the negro has a remarkable keen sense of justice he recognizes in british central africa in east africa in nigeria and south africa in togoland dahomey the gold coast sierra leone and senegambia that on the whole though the white men ruling in those regions have made some mistakes and committed some crimes have been guilty of some injustice yet that the state of affairs they have brought into existence as regards the black man is one infinitely superior to that which preceded the arrival of the white man as a temporary ruler therefore though there may be a rising here or a partial tumult there the mass of the people increase and multiply with content and acquiesce in our tutelary position were it otherwise any attempt at combination on their part would soon overwhelm us and extinguish our rule why in the majority of cases the very soldiers with whom we keep them in subjection are of their own race but unless some stop can be put to the misgovernment of the congo regions i venture to warn those who are interested in african politics that a movement has already begun and is spreading fast which will unite the negroes against the white race a movement which will prematurely stamp out the beginnings of the new civilization we are trying to implant and against which movement except so far as the actual coastline is concerned the resources of men and money which europe can put into the field will be powerless h h johnston End of section one